0: And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers.
1: Hi, and welcome to the real estate way to wealth and freedom. Podcast, episode 234. Hi, I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. I'm so glad you're here, and I'm even more excited to bring to you today's guest, Michael Green. Mike is a successful house flipper and host of the Flip Factor podcast. But at one point in time, Mike's success was just a teenage boy's dream. At the age of 15, prompted by late night infomercials, Mike bought the book. No Money Down by Carlton Sheets, which planted the seed of eventually becoming a house flipper. But the road to Mike's success was not straightforward. Growing up next to the projects in Baltimore, Mike found himself getting into trouble and breaking the law. At 17, Mike found himself behind bars in jail facing a four-year jail sentence. It was at this point Mike realized he had to get his act together and started investing in himself, reading books, and figuring out how to make a life for himself. Mike believes the key to success in house flipping is being open to investing in personal growth and seeing the potential in something that's a little broken down and rough around the edges, even if others may have given up on it. This includes seeing the potential in oneself. After learning this, Mike has scaled two house flipping businesses and flipped over 1,100 houses in the last 10 years and achieved success he'd never thought he would be able to. Today, we're going to dive into all of those details, talk about how Mike has built a successful house flipping business, what it takes, some of the systems, processes, mindsets that helped him completely turn his life around and build a successful business. So I'm excited to jump into it. There's lots of good stuff here, so let's go ahead and bring Mike on the show. All right, today I welcome on the show Mike Green. Hey Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Dude, thank you so much, man.
2: I was been excited to get on the show and talk with everyone.
1: Hey, man. I'm glad to have you on. This is going to be a really exciting conversation. You and I were just catching up before we went live here, and you're doing some really exciting stuff. But before we dig into that, let's back up a little bit. Tell us a little bit about who you are, your background, how you got involved in the world of real estate. Just kind of walk us through your journey.
2: Yes, yeah, so my journey is colorful. As a teenager, I grew up in the projects for own welfare. Not the standard white guy story, but uh, we were poor. We grew up in what they call in Baltimore, the white ghetto. So, uh, you know, my mom was a single mom, great person, still one of the best people I've ever met, but just no money, right? Our family, we grew up not knowing what money was or appreciating it or even thinking it was possible to have. So obviously, as a teenager, I always loved when I seen the commercials with Bentleys and guys at mansions with pretty blondes running around talking about how you can get rich quick overnight. In real estate, Carlton Sheep some old school stuff and yeah I was like a teenager, I actually saved up like 29 bucks and got a COD where I had to pay the mailman for bringing me Carlton Sheet's book on how to invest with no money down. So definitely been into that. Never really took action on it. It took me 15 years from that date to do my first flip. And I uh, think the flipping shows totally were a big part of that. But uh, my journey up to that point was colorful because as a teenager, I got into all kind of legal stuff, get in trouble, got, went to prison at 17 for four years, like legitimately changed my life. Totally needed. I was a complete punk and I just grew up in a bed neighborhood and didn't do any of the right things. And I get in prison and I just obviously realized it's not a place for a white guy, not a place really for anyone in this world. And I started diving into the library and the first book I read that changed my life was *Thinking, Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And it was just a great life-changing book for me. It was the first time I'd ever been exposed to that high level of positivity. No one, no role models when I was growing up ever shared anything like that with me. So I got pretty addicted to reading like these amazing books because I had no access to that in my community. There was just no one out there like speaking that high level stuff and by the time I got out I was a changed person I legitimately never committed another crime never did anything right got very committed to being a better person and just growing my business and the entrepreneurial spirit always was there I ended up starting my own little flooring company I uh, did that for like seven or eight years even though I hated it and I got this opportunity one day when I was doing flooring for this guy he's flipping a house and he's like yeah I'm flipping this and then uh, he's like I learned from this dude and he's like you should go to his free event and that was like 10 years ago when they didn't have a free event every week there was like one guy teaching in like the whole state there wasn't 50 thousand coaches on YouTube and online. You couldn't find anyone to help you. So I ended up going there and this guy was just speaking my language. He, everything he said, he like knew he'd been doing it 30 years. He knew all the tricks of the trade. He knew how to negotiate all the things I was awful at. Because even though I'd been in some trouble, I still never felt comfortable speaking to people. And I know a lot of people struggle with that. You talk to strangers, not knowing what to say, how to communicate. And I've always been very shy. The funny guy stands in the corner, you know, very analytical, which has served me well in my business, but socially not so well. So I had to learn to be more charismatic. And more fun and easy to be around. And this guy was totally that. Like, he came out in his little speech, and he had like a wallet that caught on fire, and he's like, Your money's burning <laughs> up. <in> a- <laughs> coming out it was like so fun to watch him and I was like I want to be more like him and so I spent a year of my life I spent 15 grand that I didn't have put it on like six credit cards and like took that leap it was the only money I'd ever spent on education in my life minus some books and I made that big leap and it worked out well because in about six weeks I had my first deal which I ended up wholesaling because I wasn't ready to rehab yet but I wholesaled somebody for 16k more and he showed me how to do it and I paid him the 15k I owed him got my credit cards all taken care of and kept a thousand bucks for myself but in that coming year I was able to do 12 deals. And about a year to 13 months later, I had 80 grand sitting in the bank from flipping a few houses and doing some wholesale deals. And I was able to go full time into the business very carefully and very cautiously. I don't believe in just jumping into the business because it takes a ramp up period. And that was how I got started. But then from there, I've done uh, close to 1150 flips at this point, And just every day I've been working on growing the business. For many years, I focused on volume. And what we were talking about earlier, Jacob, was like, how I focused on the volume and I got caught up in the scaling thing. And the last few years, I've uh, met a very wise Person who's been my coach and working with me on some higher level stuff, and we've been talking about like scaling down to profit up. So I went from doing 150 houses, then that year after that I did 71. This last year I did 40 some, and this year I'm looking to do about 30 to 40. But my income has went up every year, so I'm doing less, less people, less expenses, less headaches, making more money. It's like constant. It doesn't make sense, right? I totally was like thrown off by it, just not what I've been used to.
1: Yeah, I want to drill into what's going on there exactly. But coming back to your beginning, I think you did a good job. Uh, by summarizing your past as colorful, it certainly is. Now I'm gonna ask, what was your mindset coming out of getting in trouble at an early age to coming out really turning your life around and saying, Hey, I'm gonna become a successful entrepreneur? That had to take a drastic mindset shift for you. So what did that look like?
2: Yeah, it's so interesting, and you know, when we think about charitable work and how to give back, because we get in this place where we're abundant, we're starting to make money, and you want to give back in a big way. I realize one of the biggest areas for me that I'm connected to giving back to is like helping kids that grow up in neighborhoods that are rough. We just have no role models. We don't have anyone that's ever speaking to us in a different way. So I realized that my whole life had been thought a very small little like micro ecosystem of the what I call the hood, essentially, and we're all thought like the hood, like where you don't trust anyone, money's evil, you know, money's the root of all evil, and yeah. The only way you're making money is stealing drugs. There's just a couple opportunities and none of them are legal. Virtually knew nobody growing up who like actually made a living. It's either like work at Walmart or sell drugs. And it's it easy to go in the wrong direction when it's like work at Walmart. It's not the fun thing to do, essentially. It's hard work and no love and not a lot of pay. So if you want anything nice, the only thing we you know. So the shift that I started making when I started reading books and getting diving into the library, it was like the first time I'd ever been exposed to the other side of the world, right? The rest of you know, the other 99% of how people think, not the 1% of like how poor people and welfare and like housing and welfare thought projects they call it where we're not paying for where we live and crime is rampant and drugs is rampant so the shift for me was just getting exposed once I seen it and I was like wow this is like this is exciting it literally like books like Napoleon Hill and Tony Robbins and they really became like the mentors I never had I guess in a weird way that's just that they were the father I never really had you know they started teaching me that so now I'm an avid studier I love reading books and learning because it's kind of my thing that kind of got me out of that mindset so it was interesting and I I was fortunate enough because I went to jail when I was a teenager, they put me through some weekly, uh, like, you know, I guess therapy sessions, like group therapy, where we would start talking about feelings. And it was like, you know, you couldn't do that otherwise. You know, you talk about your feelings in the hood and you're like, man, what's wrong with you, man? They would take advantage of you. So it was a weird world where that wasn't supported, like being authentic and thoughtful and being caring, crying as a man, like that stuff, you couldn't do that. You would get shanked. So I learned a lot of that.
1: So in a unique way, you really started investing in yourself at a very early age when you were behind bars in prison, you know, reading all these books and then starting to invest in yourself and really trying to change yourself at an early age, a unique story there. So yeah. So you go to do this Carlton Sheets course, you get this very first deal, you wholesale it, you make that first $1,000 net in your pocket, probably feels pretty good, proof of concept, like this aha moment, right? So what was next for you?
2: So the story to clear it up a little bit is obviously Carlton Sheets was 15 years before that. And it took me 15 years to make a decision. And then I worked with a guy who was like, uh, you know, local coach, oh, right? And that's right. the guy who helped get me the results. And I spent six years reading books, watching Flip This House before I even took that action. So I'm just way too analytical. And so once I did the first house and I got a proof of concept, it was kind of open for season for me because I'd been dreaming about it for so long. And it was just a matter of having the confidence to believe if I could do it. And once I did a house, it was almost like I couldn't think of anything else. I became obsessed. And so for that year, I put a very, I had to work a full time job. So like every waking hour, though, outside of that job was towards learning more about what I was doing and getting better. And that's how I was able to get some deals. So I just used the same system that got me the first deal. He taught me how to send out letters and talk to strangers, which was really difficult for me. I remember my first 15 calls that came in, I didn't answer them. And I just like listened to the voicemails and determined whether they were good or not. And then coach ended up saying, like, you didn't call them back. And I was like, oh, well, they just wanted too much. He's like, why did you know that? Well, he said it on the voicemail. <laughs> He's like, you can't do that. You got to call them. I was like, oh, what do I say? Like, He's just very fearful of talking to strangers. So it got easier once, like anything in life, once we conquer the fear and we have a system for it, it gets a lot easier. And we always build it up to be more than it was.
1: Sure. So what was your goal with the whole thing? Starting out, did you have a kind of a small mindset? Like, I just want to make 20000 this year, flip one house. Or did you always know that you wanted to grow and scale this business to be like your full-time adventure?
2: Yeah. The first guy I partnered with was a guy I played poker with and he came into some money and he pushed me into doing my first deal and getting out of my analytical box. And he was the guy who just jumped into the pool with no water head first. <laughs> Got money, let's put it in. I'm doing it with or without you. And I needed that. I needed need someone to push me. And it was interesting because I remember him saying to me when we, after we finished the first house, which took us like four months and every hour I had free working in this house to get this thing done. We Did a lot of the work ourselves, hired like crazy people for 50, 60 bucks a day that we had to pick up and take them to Home Depot to get, Get a screwdriver. It was like we had no skills, no really company or anything. And we just definitely did it like school hard knocks. And I you remember him saying, Imagine if we could do 10 of these a year. And I was like, No way, man. Like maybe four at best. So yeah, totally thinking small. But thinking if I could do four or five a year and stop doing floors and getting out of my job, that would replace my income. So that was all I was thinking. I made about 80 or 100K a year doing floors, working really hard. And I was just looking to replace my income so I didn't have to you know, have a little more freedom, get
1: to do something that I love. Yeah, sure. And when you're talking about replacing your income, I think that brings the a good point when you're talking about the world of real estate investing you've got lots of different ways to do it house flipping buy and hold syndication raw land the list goes on and on obviously you chose house flipping so why did you fall into that kind of niche why wasn't it going out buying duplexes and fixing up and holding on to them or some other thing.
2: So for me, when I first got in, I had one rental that I'd bought and fixed up and just through kind of house I lived in turned into a rental. With that being said, that made me think, hey, I want to be a landlord. But back then we didn't have the Burr method. We didn't, you couldn't refinance out hundred percent. You had to hold it for a year. There's a lot of little rules that broke into that being a real thing. So I came in a little bit of money because I'd paid off that little house and got an equity line on it. And that money, I was starting to think like, well, if I can pick up four or five rentals, okay, then I'll just watch paint dry forever because there was no plan after that like we have these days so that's what got me into flipping was the necessity for cash flow and the ability to actually live and eat and eventually i got back into rentals once i had plenty of money coming in and you know i started using you know if i needed 100k a year and i was making three i could use you know after paying taxes maybe 100k a year to build a rental portfolio that's why i got into flipping and i just really loved it by the way And it's a uh, very active very challenging and the reason i stayed so focused on it and never got crazy about rentals was not because rentals suck or anything they're great they're always going to be amazing. It had more to do with um, my belief. I read a book called The One Thing by Gary Keller. Good book. And it was like Michael Phelps swam, right? He didn't play basketball, baseball. He swam. And I realized for me, flipping was going to be like Michael Phelps swimming. So today, I'm still really passionate. I have no plan to get out of flipping. I just figured out, you know what? Make a plan that makes flipping so easy. I can do it until I'm 80 until I can't remember who I am. And that's been my kind of way I'm going about it.
1: Well, doing the volume that you've alluded to earlier that you are doing, you've obviously built a business around flipping how rather you're not out there swinging a hammer doing one deal at a time. So tell us about how you've grown and scaled that business from doing that very first deal. Your buddy's saying, hey, let's do 10 of these a year. You're like, whoa, 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 I don't know, maybe four. Now you've said you've done over 1,100 flips. You've done 170 last year. So walk us through just how you grew and scaled that business.
2: So I got rid of that partner, first of all, because he was a big talker, but didn't follow through with anything. And ended up doing most of the work and a friend, but not a great business partner. And uh, as I got rid of that relationship, I did a few on my own and it opened a door for a new relationship with a partner named Jay. And we met at that same school. He was a student there too. And we ended up working for like an auction company doing that stuff. And then well, we just decided we liked each other. And Jay was another big personality. I love being around people like that because I want to be more like that. I want to get better mm-hmm. talking with people. He was great with talking with people. And I was good at like the market. Of the business and strategies and all that. So we ended up partnering, doing about 600 plus deals together. And uh, over like six years, it was a great partnership. We only didn't break up because of bad reasons. We just decided as we were doing like 100 some houses a year, it'd be easier to do less. He was 20 years older than me, very wise. And uh, what I really loved about him is he forced me, like every time I wanted to get into the business, he'd force me and pull me out of it and be like, let's work on the business. So he was a great mentor that way. Problem comes up, I want to go get the hammer and help out. And he would always pull me back and, like, nah, man, we want to grow this. So he had a lot of money too. So it was like eight, 900,000 cash. My cash was not going to go very far. I could flip like a few houses a year at best. And uh, with him, I was able to grow. And uh, we never used the money in paid cash. We always used hard money leverage. And uh, we were able to leverage up, uh, well, his 800 turned into a couple million. And we were able to do like 30 some houses at a time. And we turn them over every four months, every three or four months. And uh, we just that's how we got to doing so much volume. He always had that bigger picture thought process that he helped me take on eventually.
1: So when you're talking about house flipping, it kind of boils down to two things, in my opinion. Tell me if I'm wrong here, but it's finding deals, funding deals, right? So how are you doing each of those? You've alluded to the hard money, but...
2: Yeah, totally. Um, so hard money has been my thing for a really long time. And then obviously finding like gap money from private lenders. And he eventually ended up being kind of like my private lender who would create the gap. Like our money lender, you might need 50K of your own cash in order to pay a down payment, and float draws until they come in. And then you find a private lender that would do that. So I really never had a lot of money. And I've got into this about $100,000 in debt when I got into the game. And it was finding other people who believed in me. So my ability to like map out a system and get smart around analyzing deals and finding deals and creating opportunities, drew a lot of people around me who were not good at those things. And also my ability to deal with the contractor. So I definitely agree, like finding a deal, funding it, there's really a third part. You got to fix it. Because that's a struggle. You got to fix it. And the like contractors yeah. <laughs> is the gain of most people's existence, right? Everyone's like, oh my God, my contractors are so bad. And they can be because it takes quite a bit of leadership to understand contractors and be able to you know, get them to do the things that you get done on time and on budget. So I was very fortunate that I spent that four months in the house engaging like that. So some of what made me not a great business owner also ended up making me a great business owner but he helped me in understanding that it wasn't a forever thing like do a couple houses get that knowledge and then get right out of doing that and then start delegating it but you got to understand it before you can delegate it well
1: yeah sure so what's your superpower in the whole grand scheme of this house flipping business would you say
2: Obviously, I think, uh, and I really just discovered this a few years ago, for a long time, I was like, okay, I need to learn this thing so I can get good. And I thought there was like an end to it. Are you learning? Oh my God, you just do it for the rest of your life. I've actually made and taken a big shift that my education and my learning and growing is a journey that's never going to end if I want to stay really at the top of it. So I would say my ability to really just break deals down, keep working on my own leadership so I can get contractors done on time. I and mean, right now, I, we did a flip uh, about six months ago, 45K flip, and we did it seven days. It was pretty amazing it was a challenge that we took and put ourselves through just because we were normally taking about six weeks. It's pretty standard to do a 45K flip if you're doing it really well. Some people take three months. I've had them take three months myself, but we did this one in seven days. So it was all about organizing. So that, that took leadership. And I had to read a few books before I did it. I planned for like two months on, like, okay, how do I get people not to kill each other? Because you had 20 people in a house for seven days, made this thing happen. And it was all about bringing them together. And the funny thing that happened that I would never expect it is when we put all 20 of them in, I got buy in from them of what we were going to do and how we'd work together, I started seeing people who were usually competing against each other, handing screwdrivers to the guy here. Hey, here's this helping. They became a team and they worked as a union. It was like a really efficient like football team just working in unison. It just was great because now my business has the flexibility of if I need to pull one contractor, say contractor B to come work with a contractor A, because we have a need, they're willing to do that now because they got to know each other. And that, that took leadership. So leadership's a big part of uh, keeping all this stuff together. There's a lot of moving parts.
1: Well, let's dig in there because this sounds like the peak of where all your systems, your processes, your leadership, your experience are coming together to do this 45k flip in seven days. So just kind of walk us through high level, how you made that happen, what it looked like, the details of the deal.
2: Yeah. So the first thing was getting my project manager on board saying, Hey, like, could we try to do it? And he's like, Oh my God, we, can, we can't, what are you crazy? Everybody's going to quit. And all you know, we had a lot of limiting beliefs we had to get through first. Eventually, once we got past those in the, an hour, right, we just kind of, Oh, well, what if we could do it? What would it look like? We started putting it on paper and then mapping it out and figuring out, like we realized that anything's just a manpower equation. So if you want something done faster, you just need more manpower. If you got two guys working in a flip, it's going to take two, three months. If you got six guys working, it could be done in a month. You put 20 in air could be done in seven days. The question was how we get 20 in there and we organize them. So we started mapping out like, okay, if we got 20 people working, that's gonna be like five people per floor, roughly five to seven. And like, okay, we put three people in a bathroom, two people in bedrooms, one person doing this, three people outside. We were just figuring out like where everyone will go and how they'll organize with each other and how will we get through the rough end. So it was like sitting down and putting it on paper. Like this is how you do every flip, by the way, is you put it on paper, you figure out every little line item, what would need to be done like plumbing, electric, get really specific about it and then put a timeline to it. And then you start stacking it, right? And this was the thing we learned there was how to stack contractors. Like, okay, this person comes in at one, this person's at three. If it's on a normal scale, it'd be like this person comes in Tuesday, this person comes Wednesday. They yeah. overlap and stack so that way they can get more done. Traditional way that I've always been told you, like contractors tell us we should do it is, well, I don't work when the electrician's there. So when he's gone, I'll come in. Problem is you might be a week for the plumber, a week for the HVAC guy, a week for electrician. Now you're three weeks into getting your rough ends done. Versus if you can figure a way to get them all working together, get it all done in a week, you cut time off and time's money, right? If we cut time off, then good things happen when you get done faster. When you take way too long to do stuff,
1: not much good happens usually. So you went into this flip intentionally trying to get it done in seven days. Why? Did you just want to add some gray hair to your head? What was the pressing factor to do such a quick turnaround?
2: So, the pressing factor came from like a little back and forth with my project manager about some things that were taking like two months that I thought should have taken five or six. And, and I watched this show, uh, Extreme Makeover. It's basically a show at, uh, I forgot his name, Ty Pennington, maybe. Oh, it was Ty Pennington. And he basically will rehab a whole house while people go to like Disney. You know, like people will be like, hey, you want Like people that deserve it of cancer or different things. They'll go to Disney for four days and come back and like he'll bring 100 people in the house. And I've seen a video of like 100 people flipping a house, but for a really great purpose. And I realized like this was my way of help. Showing him and myself too, by the way, that we totally can do things as fast as we want. It's just a matter of organization, getting better at what we do. This broke through a lot of limiting beliefs for my team and myself. So that was the reason we decided to do it because I, in my heart, knew it could be done because I'd see Ty Pennington do it. I watched every episode. He did it fifty-five times. So like, if he can do it, right, I can do it. It was more so that I could create this understanding that if I'm like, hey, let's get it done in five weeks. Well, no one ever questions now. Like, if it's five weeks and it takes eight, we can have a real conversation about why it took extra time. It's never going to be like, well, that's just what it takes, right? I want to remove that limiting belief and start to realize, okay, now we focus on, well, we just didn't have enough manpower because they were here. We need some new people. We can focus on the real solutions. And that was my big thing that I wanted to try to create it. I thought it would be fun. I also thought there was no chance I'd do it in seven days, but I did in 14, same outcome, right? Same thing as I'm just getting it done faster. And we all would start breaking through limiting beliefs of like what's possible.
1: Yeah, sure. So now at the height of your flipping business, last year you did 171 flips, I think is what you told me. What kind of processes, systems, did you have in place to help you do that volume? I mean, you've got... A large number of houses to flip in one year. How'd you make that happen? So,
2: last year we actually went down to 40 and up, it's still a lot, right? I mean, still quite a bit of houses to do. We make it happen just by figuring out the really the most important thing for me is having a really strong system to find deals. And then once I get, you know, the money, once you figure that out, it kind of happens, right? You do have to get by it, but it's one of those things once you've done it, it's there. Now, one thing we never get away from is like we always constantly are in the grind of finding a new deal. That is the sad part of being a flipper. You never lose that when you're doing multi units you find 20 of those, you might be good for life. Oh, flipping, we're constantly finding new stuff. So that's a system we have to master. So we really get good at figuring out. For me, it's been like, okay, where are all my best deals coming from that take less time to find? Like, where am I winning at? And learning to say no to everything that was eating my time. I found that there was like 20% of what I was doing was generating 80% of my results, the 80-20 rule. So I got getting very clear about where the best deals were coming from, where I was getting the most deals, and learning to say no to everything else. Like three years ago, I had eight places I was marketing. Now i market in two or three. The two or three best things that have served me really well over the years. So that right there took like 80% of my workout, cut my costs down. Don't even need an acquisitions person anymore. Don't have to spend a bunch of money on that. I'm literally just doing it now. I just work about 15, 20 hours a week and I have an executive assistant who handles a lot of the stuff and just puts me in front of the right people and I'm able to close more deals. And then after that, it was getting really clear about a process of like, how do I get these flips done on time, on budget? You know, that comes into having really strong planning. Right, knowing like what the best layout is going to be, the design, having a schedule, having you know, timelines, and then having a feedback loop that lets you know when things aren't working. Because a lot of times we don't have that. We almost need like, a, I got an email that says we're over over schedule. And we've been setting stuff like that up in Podio to kind of just help us out, support us in understanding where our attention needs to be.
1: Sure. So talk about the finding deals pieces. You know, you've got really crystal clear on what you're looking for, this 80-20 principle. So you put all your eggs in the few baskets that are producing the most results. Are you looking for a particular 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 type of property, a particular price point, a particular market? What does that process look like for you?
2: So our, what we found out, and this was a really fun thing to do, but very draining, spent about three months going over like 600 houses I'd flipped. And uh, luckily I had all the data on it. And I really just started looking at top 10, 20% of like made me all the money. And then the worst 10, 20% figured out like, what are the common denominators of the, you know, what is that property avatar, the stuff I do well with? And what are the ones I don't do well with? Well, we found out it's not something new, but we found out like first time homebuyer houses, very predictable, always tend to be like the core of what we do really well with. And uh, when we got a little crazy. And decide we want to do like million dollar homes and really high scale high end homes they just not as predictable some would win big some would lose big and know uh, they really took a drain on our business but what was really great is finding for us in baltimore was finding houses like 200 000 to 300 dollars arv single family homes did really well uh, size was usually about a thousand to 1800 square feet and right in that avatar and happened to be in areas that were some what we call surge areas so they're just bad enough that there's plenty of houses to sell but just good enough that people want to move in so we'd buy from the people who are like this neighborhoods went down since my day and then we'd sell it to someone it was like oh i really want to live here this thing i heard it's coming up right it's close to work so we were finding those perfect neighborhoods that were just sketchy enough that people wanted it out but good enough and you know upcoming enough that people wanted to move in you know that tended to be like you know suburbs of baltimore not like right in the hood but like right outside and we were getting in plus very affordable so there's a really big large buyer's pool of people 80 percent of the people looking for a home would fit into this category so that's the and anytime we went outside of that it was just a complete distraction it took a away from our core business. So the hardest thing for me, since I love to find deals is like, wait a deal, it's 500K. I got to say no to it in order to really respect my perfect house that I flip. And that's not easy for me to do. So I constantly have to work on the discipline of that.
1: So it was, I think now I've got this timetable, right? A couple of years ago, you did 170 houses. Last year, you scaled down to 40. Talk about why you started to do that. Why you started to do less? Because as real estate investors, we've always got like this go, go, go mentality, grow, scale, do more deals. And you did the opposite. So intentionally. So tell us why.
2: For many years, I had coaches that helped me scale and they're like, grow your business and grow. And I'm reading books like Scaling Up great book, uh, cool stuff. I'm just like, in my mind, I'm like, grow the big business, you'll make more. And I always thought that, well, if I made 300,000 this year doing 50, what if I make, do a 100, I'll make 600. Mm -hmm. And what we found out as we went out and did those things is that we actually had this law of diminishing returns. And the more houses we done, the less we made per house. We went from when we were small and doing like 20 or 30 a year from averaging 40K a house to averaging like 19K a house. So it was legitimately like we doubled our business, doubled our expenses just to make the same money almost. And it meant we work more hours. We created more variables, more problems that you create by doing that. We made our margins go down. So when I found this really amazing e-myth coach that I've been working with for three and a half years, he questioned my philosophy around scaling and growing and why I wanted to do it. and What was more important, big, cool house flipper or having a really great life? And he actually connected me to my why and my purpose so that Hey, I want to actually have some freedom. I love doing flipping, but I want to have the freedom to go to Costa Rica for two weeks and be able to you know, run my business an hour a day from a coffee shop where like, I can maybe try to surf, right? It probably won't happen, but I you know, try and just have some fun. <laughs> and I have that freedom now. So we started building a new business three and a half years ago. My partner and I decided to go on our own. I had an opportunity to reinvent myself and uh, he really challenged that big philosophy. So what happened is we started thinking about scaling down to profit up. So everything was about getting higher profit margins instead of focusing on volume and doing more volume. It was all about getting more profit out of less. Because every time I get more profit out of less, I cut down costs and I cut, I bring up profit margins. So if now I'm back up to doing 40K a house again and I'm doing it with like 15 hours a week and every process I'm constantly looking at it to figure out how do I get more from less and all the way down from like, how do I buy it for 5K cheaper? Because that's huge over 40 houses a year. How do I renovate it one month faster? How do I do it for 5K less than my average competitor? All these things like compound. And then on the back end, how do I create like this environment where people are ready to fight each other to buy? my property because i nailed the layout i you know i threw a couple little extra we call them swomo features like selling with multiple offers where it's like like things that come in people emotionally want to buy your home so now i got five people fighting and willing to go into their sock and find that extra five or 10k to pay for the house and all these are like small little things we did but as we did it throughout the business we found that like oh i'm doing so much less work and i'm making so much more money it means that now i have three people working for me instead of 16 and my monthly expenses are like 10k instead of 90 and uh, in i can Work from anywhere. I can do a lot of this from anywhere in the world, as long as I have a good Wi-Fi connection. That's my only limiting thing. So sure, I yeah. found that cruises are not so good for my new business model. So I only do one <laughs> a year, and then after that, I if you don't have good Wi-Fi, I won't do the traveling. Unfortunately, I do have some limitations.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, did you find it was like uh, a bit hard to overcome mentally to do less deals? You know, did you have some hesitation or some doubt that like am I really going to reduce a certain level of headache or reduce my working hours by? doing less deals. Yeah, it's a
2: struggle. I mean, it's so built into us to want to do more. I think it's feeding some piece of my ego even really. I'm successful when I'm doing more because we always get this really positive feedback. Like if I was to tell someone I did 30 deals, they'd be like, oh, that's pretty cool. I tell them to 150, like, oh my God. Meanwhile, they never ask. like, and this is real stuff, right? When I did 30 deals, I made the same money as when I did 150, but I lived a very desirable life when I did 30 versus 150. And no one ever asked like, oh, what's the profit? They always focus on, well, how many did you do? And that makes you cool. And you must be successful. But I've really had the luxury in the last couple of years being in a couple of higher level masterminds, like the see people who are doing 300 deals a year and barely getting by. And it's just really a cementing my belief to get like more fruitful and thoughtful of like profits.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I think real estate investors are kind of funny like that. Because even like buy and hold guys, right? It's like I own 10 doors or 100 doors or 1000 doors. It's like, okay, that's a pretty high level metric. What's that really mean? Are they good doors? Are they bad doors? Do they make you money? Do you have any equity in them? It's like, it's a very like superficial metric that everybody throws around.
2: Yeah, if you think of it like that, I mean, there's many people I know that own 100 doors and they're barely getting by and they can barely eat. Now, long term, they're going to be very wealthy, but they got to wait 20, 30 years to really cash in on that work. Then I've seen people do 10, but do it really strategically. and Just like really good stuff and great appreciating neighborhoods, buy in at a super cheap price, great cash flow. They've got all, they're hitting all the really important aspects of buying an amazing rental. And five years later, they're like, oh yeah, it doubled in value or it went up 50%. And yeah, and by the way, I've been collecting $600 a month in cash flow. And it's just so much good stuff happens with so much less. And it even does apply to rentals, the same concept.
1: Yeah, sure. So I guess maybe that's a message for beginning real estate investors out there listening right now is, you know, maybe don't necessarily focus on that superficial metric of how many doors do you have or how many deals did you do, but rather what's the quality of those deals? What's the quality of your lifestyle? What are you able to do because of those deals? So yeah, it's something to think of there. And I think you've kind of brought that to a point by scaling your business down and really proving that.
2: Yeah. Focus only on profit and not volume. Take the volume thing out of the way. Like I need to do 20 houses. Like honestly, I've had people doing three houses a year, but they're making a hundred K a house. They barely work. And they're super happy doing that. And I've met people doing like over a hundred houses a year and make the same money as the guy doing three. You know, they're stressed out. You get that little shot of dopamine because they're the leader and they get to run this and everyone tells them how cool they are. I've been through that. That totally is what was driving me. We get out of our own ego and we get in like what's best for the business and get into like away from like what, we want to serving our business and serving our people. There's a very different dynamic that you can create that makes a business. It's a, and I guess this comes with age and wisdom. I think maybe I had to do <laughs> that stuff to figure this out. And now I'm learning some stuff, right?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, Mike, after being in the business for so long, doing so many deals, what are some of the common house flipping myths you see out there from people trying to get started or do their first deal or two?
2: So the most common one is that you need money to do it. Obviously, I came in bad credit, completely in debt. If you have knowledge and you're smart about how you present yourself and you're one chapter ahead of your person who would invest with you, they'll look at you and think you're smart enough. I mean, I've seen people say, you're a realtor? Oh, fantastic. You must know how to do this. Let's all put in a bunch of money with you. So you can find people that want to invest and want to support your dream. So you don't necessarily need money is probably one of the biggest ones. And then next would be the whole scaling down, obviously, and being more thoughtful of how much can I make? You don't volumes mean, essentially. So just focus on how much money you want to make each year and the easiest way to get to that money.
1: Well, what are some reasons people fail in the business? Common hurdles Do you see people get tripped up with, maybe mindset in the nuts and bolts flipping houses. Any kind of common pitfalls you see in the business?
2: I a mean, major one, and this, I'll say that this was one for me too, is um impatience. Right, expectations and impatience. So we expect that we're going to get rich very quickly. We all dream that, and we forget how long like building a great business takes, and how much work and effort and resilience it takes. There's always been. There's been so many ups and downs throughout my career, and so willingness to get back up and fight, and realize that we're going to stay in it. It works, right? It's not whether house flipping works or being a landlord works or anything in real estate investing works. It's clear that all those things work. The key is, will you stick with it long enough? Or are you passionate enough about it to stick with it long enough to make it work? And for some, that some people, that's three months, and some people, it's three years. But you got to be willing to like stick with it until you make it happen.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, what piece of advice would you have out there for someone who wants to get into house flipping? That is, but not necessarily be stuck in the business. You know, be the one swinging the hammers and going out to every day and supervising contractors but rather building a business out of it.
2: I think that so the best part of advice I could really give is that like obviously a lot of people like well I've heard you shouldn't be in the job right you should hire people to do it but I always advise that you do the job at least a few times to understand it get in there and manage your property get in there and like maybe swing a hammer for a day or work be willing to get into the trenches with the only purpose of understanding what your people do and you being able to map out a process that helps you lead and manage them later and that doesn't mean you gotta do it for five years I mean I had many things like even following in my office I did filing for three days one time just to understand it but that was it i didn't have any plans on doing it after that (laughs) yeah that was it i didn't want to do it because yeah it was one of my weaknesses i don't like to deal paperwork and all that i couldn't manage the person who was dealing with it until i took some time to understand it so figure out what the minimum amount of time is that you can get out and learn understand construction if you're going to be a flipper you have to understand construction you have to get out and you know do acquisitions talk with people analyze deals get out your car and see properties trying to scale too quick and delegate off too quick is probably one of the biggest pitfalls falls and one of the biggest areas that people don't really want to invest in, in in themselves right i tend to know a little bit about everything and often these days a lot about a lot of things because i've spent the time learning it you know i've spent my evenings and weekends getting good at it so that i wouldn't be taken advantage of by a contractor and i have control over my business i have a deep fear that i, like, I guess i've shared it now i'm sharing with a lot of people but i have a deep fear of going back to being broke and have i completely unemployable i have a 10th grade education, a criminal record. My deepest fear is I would like not be able to flip. So I do everything possible to make sure I have a sustainable business that I'll never have to get out of. Whether the economy goes down, I'm working on being recession proof so that I never have to potentially go back and work for someone. I just don't think it would work. So I have to figure that out.
1: Yeah, I love that. Well, that's a good motivating factor to keep doing well and uh, keep you on your toes in the house flipping business. So, well, what does the future look like for you? You know, you've started to scale down your business. Are you going to scale down to one flip a year? Have you found the sweet spot? What's the outlook for you like? And then what are your goals going forward?
2: So right now, yeah, I'm thinking like 30 houses a year is really easy for me to do with this core team of people that I have that I love. We've all um, done some higher level emotional intelligence training. It's some family members involved that are doing great. So I'm loving the team I have together right now. So I want to keep it what almost is the perfect amount for them. It's enough for them to make money, me make money. We all can do this with ease. And it's about 30, 35 houses a year. So I think that's my sweet spot. I probably won't scale down to one because I do have some people that I committed to making this easy for me. I want to make sure it's enough for everyone. With that being said, outside that personally, is just, uh, you know, I've been helping, coaching, giving back to others, doing the podcast. And and I want to still have time to do that and keep learning and getting, sharing with others. I can get to talk with you and so many other great people. You know, I'm staying as sharp as I need to be to make sure I don't end up back at a job. So I want to always be on the front of what's happening.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Well, as we're wrapping up here, we've got a lightning round. We'd like to end with all of our guests. Are you up for it? Yes. All right. Well, the first question is, what was your biggest hurdle getting started investing in real estate where house flipping this is? And what'd you do to overcome that?
2: my absolute biggest hurdle was analysis uh, paralysis by analysis i guess i hope i'm saying that correctly but i get things backwards sometimes yeah yeah he's like thinking is that right but yeah just analyzing like thinking that i needed all the answers before i took action now obviously i'm not condoning people who just jump in with no thought no plan no process no totally don't do that but for the analyzers out there like me like six years was a little bit too long right i think i could have figured out what i enough to be safe in a year or you know gotten that coach six years before that so take action find that process Perfect balance of taking calculated action. And on how I got over it is I had to start training myself to have a process of where I'm like, okay, I need to learn this much. And then I will take some step of action that will start to get me the better feedback that I can't get from books like real life experience, but do it in a safe way where I'm not losing my life savings. So it's like finding that perfect balance as I started to be able to become a, a faster action taker.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, do you have a personal habit that contributes to your success?
2: My number one is uh, I'm really big on every evening figuring out what the really important stuff to do is what you would call the like the needle movers and doing it all in the morning time the next day because I am so pumped up to do the good stuff early in the morning and every you know, after lunch things slow down. Essentially that's why like I really feel I can get done in four hours a day, what most get done in eight. So like figuring that out. That's been my personal habit starting early, being really specific about the things that are gonna move the business forward. Not the things I wanna do, but the things I need to do, like financials and understanding the math and the numbers. And I hate doing that. But it's like one of the most important things in business. And I'll doing that in the morning when I first wake up, I have energy and I know the longer I wake, the less likely it'll get done.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, do you have an online resource you find valuable in your day to day?
2: I've been really big on not spending a bunch of money on all these gimmicky products that are out there. They all have their own value. But what I found is when I got into like all the bigger stuff, like 200 bucks a month for this and that, like I can never make it work for me. So for me, it's just keeping it simple. My online resource I love is like using Trilio. If you've heard of that, it's a free project management. It's free. So I'm loving the price. You know, it has everything (laughs) you need keep it simple. And I just integrate that with like Google Drive and maybe some spreadsheets and stuff. And I'm running a very successful business with minimum stuff. I do have Podio for when I'm marketing, but if I'm not marketing, I'm just doing MLS. I don't even feel like I need Podio totally, right? I'm really big on just not spending a bunch of money until you actually have a business running.
1: Yeah, I love that. Just keeping it simple really helps things. You don't have to have the latest and greatest software, the gadget or the subscription model or whatever it is. You can do things pretty rudimentary.
2: And it's not even the $30 a month that it costs or the hundred bucks a month. It has more to do with like, it might take you six months to figure out how to use it. And in that time, you could be finding deals, growing, you know, doing what really is impactful to your business. So I get in the weeds with that stuff. And I realize for me, keep it simple and just do what you need. And some people say it's because I'm cheap, but you know, sometimes cheap's good. Like I'm saving money and I'm being more effective, essentially.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Mike, what book would you recommend to the listeners and why? So
2: great book I read for the fifth time recently is a book called Mindset. And uh, it's by Carol Dweck is our name. And it's very short, easy read, talks a lot about there's two different types of mindsets. One is a growth mindset, and one is a fixed mindset. And a lot of us fall into that fixed mindset. And that would be like, hey, I do this thing, and I'll be an awesome salesperson. But then when we get hit with the reality that all salespeople have bad days and good days, and sometimes what they do doesn't work, it starts to fight against our belief. But if we actually think in the growth mindset, then everything's scientific experiment. So every time we get a negative result, it's just something we need to look into and dig into and fix. So the growth mindset is the mindset I've decided to take on since I read that book about uh, three years ago. I keep reading it regularly because every time I read it, it means something different to me. I get new stuff from it.
1: Awesome. Yeah, that's a new book to me. So we'll definitely link that in the show notes for audience members want to pick that up. Last question in the lightning round, which I'm really excited to ask you about because this was a pretty critical time in your life. And I ask everybody the same age every time. Question is, if you were to give advice to your 20-year-old, self to get started investing in real estate, what would you go back and tell yourself?
2: Oh man, well, just get out there. You're good enough. Honestly, a 20 year old me didn't think he was good enough or smart enough and didn't think like who would invest with me. And knowing that like there's resources out there, there's these great shows you can listen to, YouTube videos. There's so much out there. So just get out and do it and get a mentor, even if it's not paid, get some, you know, get some books, start reading, educating yourself. I've seen 20 year olds do it now with YouTube. I've known people that are flipping houses that are 20, 21 years old. A couple guys in college that I met are doing it really well. I just think we're in the greatest time ever to learn and, and break into this industry. 10 years ago was not the case. You had to like meet someone and know someone to crack into the industry, but not anymore. There's no secrets
1: these days. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Mike, you've started doing a few different things outside of your house flipping business. One of those is you've started a recent podcast. So tell us a little bit about that.
2: So the podcast, look, we it's been growing really quickly and doing great. And mostly because we give some good stuff, much like yourself. We're just trying to give great content, good stories, but I'm really analytical. So I want to make sure every podcast that somebody comes away with something they can use in their business that really make an impact to like their life and their business. And and as I'm learning and teaching those things to everyone else, I'm learning to use them in my own business. So it's been been six months we've had it. It's really like the listener base has been growing like crazy. So I've decided to make a big commitment, keep doing it for a long period of time. Anything that ends up being great, it takes a lot of uh, consistency. So we're working on that. And then, you know, we just basically been helping out some people and coaching, but keeping it really not like doing the nationwide guru thing that I've been caught up in. Just like we want to work with and help.
1: Yeah, sure. So that's the Flip Factor podcast. You can find that on iTunes, all the other directories where you're listening to this podcast out, I'm sure. So we'll be sure to link that in show notes for audience members to check that out if they want to give it a listen. I listened to the first episode this morning. Great stuff. you got a lot of cool guests right on on there, like right off the bat, just delivering a ton of valuable content. So I'm going to check it out myself. Keep listening to it. Well, Mike, as we're wrapping up here, any questions I should have asked you that I didn't? Any parting piece of advice you'd like to leave with the audience members before we wrap up?
2: Man, you were very thorough, man. Thank you so much for a great interview. And I'm hoping that your listeners love this and there's some value in it. And thank you so much for doing the show because I know what it takes to do the show and the commitment. So I'm sure thank you very much on behalf of everyone listening and allowing me to be on the show.
1: Oh, man, it's my pleasure. It's only great guests like you that make it possible. So appreciate your time coming on the show. Well, hey, where can audience members check you out for more information and connect with you if they would like to learn more about what you're doing?
2: So easiest way would be the flipfactor.net, the flipfactor.net. And now uh, that's my website. And then my emails might get the flipfactor.net. So that's my personal email. Feel free to give shoot me over a question. I love engaging with people. That's been what I now they don't work that many hours every day. I spend all the rest of my hours kind of just talking with other flippers and didn't have a lot of friends growing up, but now I got more friends <laughs> having to be all house flippers though, which is cool. Yeah, oh, yeah. common.
1: Awesome, Mike. Well, hey, it's been a lot of fun having you on the podcast. Thanks so much. We'll link that flipfactor.net and all your contact information in the show notes. Our audience members want to learn more about you. Hey, thanks so much for coming on the show today. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Take care. All right, that wraps up this week's episode with our guest, Mike Green. Hey, I hope you got a ton of value from Mike's story. He has quite the interesting approach and path to becoming a successful entrepreneur. It just goes to show that with the right mindset and dedication, you can achieve anything you put your mind to. Mike is living proof of that. I had a great time talking with Mike on the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. If so, please go over and leave a rating and review on whichever platform you're listening on. You can visit www.jacobairs.com and find all of those links we mentioned in the show notes or tap simply on your phone screen, probably where you're listening to this at. Well, hey, till next week, engineer the lifestyle you want.